0: Welcome to the brownstein hyatt farber Shrek podcast series. Another election year, another ballot cycle in Colorado. In this episode, Brownstein's Sarah Mercer, David Meshke, and Denver Donchez talk about the state's ballot measure process and what voters can expect in this even year election.
1: Welcome to the Brownstein podcast series. My name is Sarah Mercer, and with me are my colleagues, David Meshki and Denver Donchez. David and Denver, welcome.
0: Thanks, Sarah. It's great to be back to talk about what's going to be on the November ballot.
1: Thank you. So happy to be here. Yes, really great to be here to talk about what's going to be on the November ballot uh, here in Colorado. Not candidates, but ballot measures David, we've been here before and had this conversation uh, every couple years in particular in even years because, as we've discussed before on this podcast, our election cycle for ballot measures is a two-year cycle. There can be ballot measures on the November ballot, both in odd years and even years, but odd years have to be related to Tabor and fiscal matters. In even years, general election cycles, it is uh, open season and they can be on any topic. So we will be seeing a lot of topics on the November 8th ballot. Um, But David, could you remind us, how does a ballot measure get to the ballot, one that's initiated by citizens? How does that happen?
0: There are actually a couple of different ways that you see a ballot measure on your state ballot when you get it in November. Sometimes they can be referred to by the General Assembly or the state legislature, but the ones we were going to talk about first here today are the citizen-initiated ones. And the process, and, and for those that have been listening to this podcast series in the past um, will be familiar with this, um, but it's always good to have a refresher. The, the process begins when two proponents, who have to be registered electors in the state of Colorado, uh, submit a, a measure to legislative council, which is that body that provides guidance to our state legislature. And um, after they do so, the Legislative Council reviews that measure and provides feedback in both a memo format and at what's called a review and comment hearing. And those are recorded and can be listened to by anyone in the public. And after that process is done, the proponents can either decide to amend their measure and resubmit it to Legislative Council or amend it based off of comments from legislative council and submitted to title board. And title board is that group that's made up of representatives from legislative council, the secretary of state and the attorney general's office. And that's the board that decides whether a measure has what's called a single subject. And every measure in Colorado has to have a single subject. It can't be multiple different subjects put together. And if it does have a single subject, they decide what the title, that kind of summary that you see on your ballot is going to read.
1: And this, David, that's actually the language that voters see on their ballot. So there's kind of a quasi-judicial, it's an administrative hearing, it's almost like being in a courtroom in a way where lawyers and others, and citizens and others, are kind of arguing about what the actual language is that voters see to vote on and make this decision, right?
0: Exactly. And and it serves a really good purpose because I, I, I'm sure you've seen the full text of some of these measures and it can be quite lengthy. So it's always good to have that, that language that provides a summary that is easy to read and, and goes through a very long iterative process among multiple stakeholders um, so that it's as accurate as possible. And then once a measure passes through and some don't, some don't make it past title board because they're not a single subject, any objector or any person in Colorado can file a motion for rehearing or if the proponents don't like the title they received or the decision from title board. And then there are rehearings. So it goes back before the title board and the title board will discuss single subject in a title again. And then if there's still either the petitioners upset about something there or the objectors, there's the opportunity to appeal directly to the Colorado Supreme Court. So our, our highest court in Colorado then decides those issues of whether the title is clear or whether that measure has a single subject. And then once it gets through all that process and a measure has a title and that title is not being adjudicated anywhere else, the proponents can submit what's called the petition, to the secretary of state's office that's the forms that have the title the text of the measure and then a number of signatures and those of us who who go to a grocery store or various places here in colorado have probably seen petitions and signed um, them at various times and if there are enough signatures gathered then it can make it on the ballot and, and while that process is happening oftentimes a can pain starts and, and we start seeing ads about them on tv and on the radio So that's the general process that happens here in Colorado. It's, uh, As Sarah said, it's it's a contentious process. Lawyers are involved. Sarah and I were involved um, in a number of them uh, this past cycle, but it is a process that kind of vets these measures and makes sure that what gets on the ballot is hopefully something that is both easy for voters to understand and can be implemented if passed.
1: Thanks, David. And this process has been going on for two years. So there are some ballot measures that have, as we're going to discuss, have been got, have gone through the entire process. Signatures have already been collected. They're actually already ready for the ballot. They've been ready for the ballot for months and months and months. There are others uh, where they're sort of just getting started on the signature gathering phase. Um, like, Where are we right now in the process, which is ongoing for this two-year cycle?
0: One of the reasons we're having this podcast right now, Sarah, is because the title board process is over. All hearings and rehearings are done. Most of the measures that are going to be gathering signatures have already submitted their petitions to the Secretary of State's office. So we can now see kind of the full range of potential measures and topics that voters might see on their ballots. And to provide kind of a a summary of this cycle, uh, and as Sarah mentioned, there's a two-year cycle. We had 151 measures this cycle, which um, is actually down from 318 for the previous cycle, Um, So that was the two years prior, uh, 2019 and 2020. But that 151 measures that we saw this cycle is actually quite similar to what we saw in cycles prior to the cycle two years ago. And we were looking at this cycle being a slow cycle for measures until the final few days where there was a wild push and a number of measures were filed very near the deadline, which resulted in long two days full of hearings before title board during the last title board hearings. And Sarah and I were there actually until around 11 p.m. on that second day on some measures. And then uh, for the rehearings, there was another two days on that last day that there could possibly be rehearings. So there was definitely a, a flurry at the very end.
1: Yeah. And certainly it just feels like from an anecdotal perspective that the pandemic that we just went through probably affected the measures that we had. And um, it was fascinating that we got probably 50 measures um, in the last just several weeks of the cycle. But looking at what's our universe now, because this, the deadline for title board has passed, no one can file new measures anymore. Everything that could be on the ballot is at least part of the way through the process. Denver, what what do we see in that universe of initiatives that could potentially be on our ballot in, in November?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we definitely have one initiative that has already been approved for the 2022 ballot, and this is initiative number 31, the state income tax reduction rate, which essentially seeks to lower the state income tax rate for all Colorado taxpayers. If passed, this initiative would decrease the state income tax rate from 4.55% to 4.4% for tax years commencing after January 1st of next year. And the measure would also reduce the tax rate for domestic and foreign C-corporations operating in Colorado. Just a little bit of background on this measure, uh, just because I think context is always important here, a little bit of history into the state income tax rate in Colorado. So prior to 1987, individual income taxes in Colorado were graduated, which means that those with higher incomes paid higher taxes and vice versa. Right now, there's 32 states that operate under this scheme. But like I said, since moving away from the scheme in 1987, the Colorado individual income tax has essentially been a flat tax rate since this time. The flat tax was 5% from 1987 to 1998, then it was lowered in 1999, again in 2000, and yet again in 2020. So this initiative would lower it even further, according to the Colorado Legislative Council staff. The rates were lowered to reduce the Tabor surplus.
1: Let me just add Denver that you know I think you're exactly right. Context is important, and our proponents for this measure are John Caldera, who is very well known in Colorado for running the Independence Institute, a um, more libertarian. Uh, anti-tax think tank, uh, and also Jerry Sonnenberg, who is a current state Republican state senator. Uh, he's just finishing out his, uh, his term in the legislature. But uh, no surprise that this uh, income tax rate reduction is coming uh, from that sort of political sphere, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. So
2: that is what we can expect to see on the 2022 ballot. But in addition to that one, there have also been 14 initiatives which have been approved for circulation. And what that means is they've gone through the proper channels, like David talked about, and they're now in the process of getting signatures. So when you see someone outside of your grocery store with a clipboard asking if you're registered to vote, that's what's going on. That's the process that these initiatives are in right now. And like I mentioned, there's 14 of them. They cover a wide variety of topics, including petition rights. There's an anti-abortion measure, campaign expenditure limits, a natural medicine health act, decriminalization of certain plants and fungi, and several others, which we can discuss in a little bit more detail. I do want to flag that all 14 of these measures are statutory. None of them are constitutional. And the distinction here is that constitutional initiatives require a 55% vote to pass, whereas statutory measures only require a 50% vote to pass. So as I mentioned, there are several categories of initiatives here that have been approved for circulation, and I'd like to speak in just a little bit more detail about a couple of them. I will say, starting off, that initiative number 56, which is the anti-choice measure and which is somewhat deceptively called the unlawful murder of a child measure, is included in this tally. I think it's important to note that anti-abortion measures have been on the Colorado ballot pretty consistently since 1984, and they have generally failed to gather the required support to pass. So I just want to flag that.
1: You know, on that measure, you know, there is something important. When you look at a measure on the Secretary of State's website, there's kind of a a shorthand version that ends up actually not being something that the voters see. Um, Instead, what the voters see is the title that's actually fixed by the Title Board. Um, And David and I sat through this. We were sitting at the Title Board for other measures, and we actually were there for the rehearing on this measure. And it was very interesting the debate among the Title Board and, of course, the proponents and opponents of this measure as to how to talk about what this measure actually does in a way that is accurate and that is clear to the voters, the the requirements for for setting title. And the title here characterizes this measure as making it illegal to intentionally cause the death of a fetus or a child. So it's an interesting framing of an abortion measure that I'm not sure we have seen on the Colorado ballot framed exactly in this way. So I appreciate you highlighting this one.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something that we've seen more and more in, a, in other states as well. So it, it is interesting. But a couple of other initiatives that have also been approved for circulation. Um, initiative number 63, which is titled the Colorado Additional State Education Funding Initiative. This one seeks to allocate a third of all revenue received from individual, corporation, estate and trust federal income to the state education fund and it would allow the state to spend money as a voter-approved revenue change. The text of the initiative cites to the comparative lack of resources for publicly educated students and the detrimental effects that COVID has had on the public education systems in the state. The measure states that Colorado has fallen behind inflation and enrollment growth since 2009 by $571 million in the past 2021-2022 school year alone, and $9.7 billion in the past 13 years. And according to the National Center for Education Statistics, Colorado's average per-pupil student funding is over $2,000 behind the national average. So this initiative would really seek to remedy some of these deficits through additional funding to public schools without raising taxes. Another initiative that has been approved for circulation is initiative number 108, which is titled the Statewide Affordable Housing Fund. And this initiative would dedicate a portion of revenues, approximately one-tenth of 1%, from existing income tax revenues and allocate those funds to housing projects, including affordable housing financing programs, which reduce rent and purchasing land for affordable housing development. According to the Colorado Department of Legal Affairs, the leading cause of homelessness is economics because housing costs are higher than income. Over a quarter of Colorado households make less than $45,000 a year. And since 2010, the number of affordable housing units available for those making less than this amount has dramatically dropped. So this initiative would seek to fill a much needed gap in affordable housing in Colorado. So that is a snapshot of what has been approved for circulation. Um, In terms of the signatures required for the 2022 election, Petitioners are required to get 124,632 signatures, which is 5% of the total votes cast for all candidates of the Office of the Secretary of State at the prior general election. The signatures are due three months before the election, so that would be August 8th, and the sufficiency of the signatures are determined by the Secretary of State, and that determination needs to be made by September 7th. And I think finally, as a final note, I think it's worth mentioning that several measures have had titles set, but the petition has not been submitted for signatures, which is the next step for an initiative to be put on the ballot. And these initiatives are unlikely to move forward, either due to a legislative compromise or because different versions of the initiative are already in the signature gathering phase. So that's a high-level snapshot on what to expect on the upcoming 2022 ballot and what has been approved for signatures.
1: Yeah, thanks, Denver. And thinking about another phase of the process that David mentioned is the appeal directly to the Colorado Supreme Court. Sometimes proponents decide that, given that the Colorado Supreme Court often affirms um, and is more likely to affirm the title board's action than to um, overturn it, you know, sometimes proponents will take a chance and say, well, even though we're in this appeal process, we're still going to put in our petition and try to seek uh, signatures and risk that even if the, if the Supreme Court overturns it, then those signatures won't be valid anymore. And of course, collecting signatures requires resources, either through volunteers or through paid signature gatherers. But we did see a lot of measures go before the Colorado Supreme Court and actually saw the Colorado Supreme Court deny more measures in a proportional way than they had in past cycles. Out of the measures that went up to the Colorado Supreme Court, we did see 27 measures denied, which was quite a few. Um, we also did see, though, proponents pushing the boundaries of ballot measures of single subject in ways that we hadn't really seen in the past either. So I think that we will need to see a few more cycles to determine whether the Colorado Supreme Court is engaging in a different way on these title board appeals, or if it was really maybe just a facet of proponents who were seeking to try to possibly do more in a measure than they had in the past. A huge set of measures that we saw introduced had to do with, um, and that we saw brought forward had to do with alcohol. And those nearly all went before the Colorado Supreme Court. Um, My understanding is that the Colorado Supreme Court has affirmed almost all of those, but those dealt with several different topics. Uh, One is, should wine, voters could be asked, should wine be sold in grocery stores Another is to expand alcohol delivery options, which is something that a lot of individuals use during the pandemic. Another is to increase the number of licenses that an owner or an ownership group can have because in Colorado, the number of liquor stores that could be owned by an individual or an ownership group has always been very limited to just one or two licenses. Uh, And then the last group was really a group of what we kind of term countermeasures or opposition measures that were seeking to also get on the ballot potentially at the same time as these other ma- measures and maybe frustrate or kind of act like poison pills to these th- those sort of buckets of measures. And yet to be seen, you know, what measures will move forward with signature gathering, but that certainly is is going to be a, an area to watch because there is just such a significant number of those alcohol measures. David, let's turn to another set of measures that gained a lot of attention in the media, the property tax measures.
0: Yes. And, and so we, we've been talking about various categories of measures, and, um, and there were a number of property tax measures that were eventually dismissed, and so they will not be on the November ballot. And as as Denver mentioned just a few minutes ago, um, a number of measures are not going forward because of the legislative compromise, and the property tax measures are a prime example of that. Um, there are a number of measures that went through title board, um, some denied, some Um, were approved that would cap the actual value of a property, whether that's residential or commercial property, and limit its growth uh, either to inflation or a certain cap. Uh, 3% cap was a a pretty prominent number. And full disclosure, uh, Sarah and I represented the proponents for the vast majority of these property tax measures. So we are very familiar with them. And uh, to highlight how closely this was a discussion between uh, proponents and the General Assembly. The proponents for a large number of these property tax measures were actually members of the General Assembly, including um, Representative Alex Valdez and Representative Colin Larson. Um, so it shows that they, they were using themselves the ballot measure process for citizen initiatives to uh, have a discussion with, with their colleagues. Um, So eventually, a number of these measures did get through Title Board, and that spurred a legislative compromise that was bipartisan. It resulted in um, what's been in in the news and referred to as uh, Senate Bill Um, 22-238. And that bill creates a $700 million cut to property taxes for two years. Um, which means that in two years we may see another flurry of property tax measures. so uh, for, for those of you who are interested in, in residential taxes, this bill reduces the taxable value of homes by fifteen thousand and for those of you more interested in the commercial side, it, it would do the same. Um, but actually some commercial properties would be have their taxable value. Um, reduced by 30,000. And uh, the bill that has been passed uh, lowers some assessment rates as well. Um, So it was a a really interesting and um, fast-paced discussion that resulted in a compromise at the very end of um, this year's legislative session over at the General Assembly.
1: Obviously, there's an intertwine between what we see on the ballot and the legislature. David, you mentioned it really early on in the podcast. One way that measures get on to the ballot is by being what's called referred, a referred measure from the General Assembly itself. We've got several of them that are going to appear in November. We have five. You know, there's usually a handful, I would say, from the legislature. You know, I think this is probably in the order of kind of the normal magnitude of referred measures that we would see. It's usually kind of anywhere between two to five, two to six, that we would see on the ballot. The topics that the legislature has decided during their legislative process to send to the voters have to do with a variety of issues. One is, you know, whether to increase the amount of and sort of the way that the program is structured for meals that are provided to students in K-12 schools. Another regards ballot measures and how the fiscal impact of the ballot measure, there's a fiscal impact statement that's required to be provided as part of the process that citizen-initiated ballot measures go through. So how that fiscal impact statement, how it lays out what that fiscal impact um, is, is a subject uh, of a referred measure. And then we've got a few more. Uh, one is dealing with charitable gaming, the the sort of allowing charities to use um, bingo and other kinds of, of gaming to raise money for, for their causes. And um, also we have another one regarding property taxes, regarding the homestead exemption, and then actually creating um, a new judicial district is another one. So Three of those are constitutional, two are statutory, but we're definitely going to see a handful of measures that voters are going to decide on that are were referred by the General Assembly themselves.
0: Yes. Thanks, Sarah. And, and so that brings us to a total of six measures that we know are going to be on the ballot um, for this coming November. As Sarah just mentioned, the five that were referred to by the legislature and the one that Denver uh, went over, that was a citizen-initiated measure. And uh, looking over at the last... 20 years um, here in Colorado, we usually see an average of about nine to ten of these measures, um, both citizen and referred, on our ballot in even numbered years. So, if, if that holds true, we should expect around four more to make it on the ballot. And if you're wondering how often these actually get approved, uh, we did a little research, and about 45.7 um, percent. So, it's about a coin flip on on whether they actually pass
1: although uh, 45% uh, to 55% is a pretty good margin uh, in an election. So it does seem like there is a little bit of an inclination for voters to, to answer no, as opposed to yes on these measures. You know, Denver, you shared with us that the next kind of gate that we go through is in August when the signatures are due, the last day is August 8th for signatures to be collected. And then the sufficiency determination has to be made on September 7th. So we will be back at the end of the summer to talk through uh, what measures actually made it through the signature gathering process and talk about them in much, much more detail. We really appreciate you listening. And David and Denver, thanks for being with me today. And of course, you can find all the information about all of the measures on the Brownstein Ballot Tracker. We keep that up to date. So thanks for listening. And we look forward to talking with you at the end of the summer. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.